and today's episode I was lucky enough to chat to an amazing Beth and Dern. Anne graduated in 2014 and she fell in love with surgery in Anglesey Lodge in the Coet. After completing a surgical internship in Kentucky Equine and another internship in Feathered, Anne went on to complete her large animal surgical residency in UCD. Being one of four surgeons now in Feathered and being one of few female surgeons in Ireland, Anne touches on the drop-off of female vets in CPDs, struggles and realities of both becoming and being a vet and advice she has for younger up-and-coming vets. I can't thank Anne enough for her openness and vulnerability in our conversation and we also touch on her view on keeping the performance horse sound. I hope you enjoy. On today's show, I am so delighted to be joined by the wonderful equine surgeon, Anne Dunn. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Siobhan, and I really appreciate you uh, having me on tonight. And thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> uh, we got uh, in touch to a mutual friend of ours, and I was so delighted when I looked into your Instagram, your wonderful Instagram, um, an Irish equine surgeon. So I will link it in the show notes below. And yeah, I've been super excited about this conversation. And today we're kind of going to go into your journey as a best. And we're also going to touch on some little topics at the end, kind of seasonal topics. So I guess to begin with how you got into veterinary, more so how you got into horses and your journey to kind of to where you are now. So what was it about veterinary that sparked your interest and how did you get into horses? Um, I suppose first off, like I'm, we actually aren't, my family don't come from a horsey background. Was actually neighbours or good friends of my parents. Uh, their daughters used to uh, go down to their local riding school, and they kind of encouraged my parents to get us into it. And I followed suit after my two older brothers. So we all ended up then very interested in it, and and going from a young age from riding school to showing and show jumping. And then with my one of my older brothers then went on into sort of. Um, European level show jumping and then went into racing um, and then he was unfortunate he had a bad injury though during the racing and um, that kind of cut his his um, racing career short so um, but that's how we got into the horses and I, like I said yeah we kind of kept going through that I went into the veterinary side of things because I was I would have to say not much of a competitor um, from a like I was definitely a lot less talented than my brothers were um, so I found the veterinary side a lot more appealing to me. Um, and I grew up watching the BBC's Animal Hospital that used to have, like, unfortunately, it was used to be hosted by Rolf Harris, which is not a good thing anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up watching that um, on, like, I think it was on every Friday night or Thursday night or something and loved it. So that was my starting point into veterinary. And after that, then, I suppose I'd always in the back of my mind wanted to do it. Um, but when I got into secondary school, then I it kind of drifted from my mind. And um, when I got to final year, I hadn't I, I didn't have chemistry on my for I hadn't done it for my leaving cert. So I decided I'd give it my leaving cert a bash and see what kind of roughly my points would be. And if I could then push to go and get. So anyway, I went back then and I repeated in the Institute on Leeson Street and I was short I had 15 points. For, for oh my god so I appealed my results and luckily I had one one subject my English subject went up three grades which was just enough and um I was able to get in the following year they held my place for me 
on the on the repeals or the uh, appeals, I should say. So um, that was my journey into veterinary. Um, so I took a little bit of a long, a long-winded route in, which is kind of the story of my life, I think, really. Um, and then, yeah, veterinary. I I've loved it ever since I like I, like I said I've always want I've kind of always wanted it in the back of my mind and in particular then to go down the equine route um, again I was pretty I suppose like most students and I think students panic when they get the final year and they don't know what they want to do after final year in college and I got to fourth year and I wanted all I wanted to do was mixed practice I didn't you know I wasn't really hell bent on doing any work with horses um, and I was very lucky that going into my final year I got a accepted for a surgical externship in Anglesey Lodge on the Curra and when I was there I worked uh, I got to extern with Turlock McNally and uh, Mary Harty and I again it just I absolutely fell in love with surgery while I was there and in particular with horses like I just the, the combination was phenomenal and they encouraged me then to go to Haggard's see practice there and it kind of spiraled from then there and now I'm here as a surgeon back then in Feathered so lovely and you how how long have you been based in Feathered now <clears throat> sorry pardon how long have post? you been based in all oh, right sorry um yes yeah, I, I actually sorry I skipped over I suppose me graduating I so when I graduated in 2014 I did my internship in my first internship I went to Kentucky and did it in Haggard's I did and then came back and I did my second internship here in Feathered um, and it was from Feathered then I went up to UCD to do my residency in uh, my European um, in surgical residency program okay. so I spent three years with them and then did a year in the UK in uh, North Yorkshire um, and then I was a solo surgeon up there by myself um, for about nine ten months and then with because of Brexit and that I decided to move home it wasn't I just couldn't cope being up there so far I was very isolated from my family I couldn't like with the lockdowns and that I couldn't move back and forth as much as I wanted to and then came back did a year in Sycamore just over a year in Sycamore Lodge on the Curra and then I came back to Feathered. So I've been here, I've only been here uh, two, two and a half months, geez, nearly three months now at this point. Okay, okay. So that was a that was a fairly recent move then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guys were were looking for a fourth surgeon to join the rota and um, they'd always, I've always kept in close contact when I used to come down here during my residency and I would see, you know, get extra cases, log extra cases and come down. It's such a busy practice. And Jair and Tom were always very good to let me come back and see, gather more experience. So anytime I was down, I always told, in particular, I'd always say to Jair that, you know, this is where I want to work for the rest of my life, ideally. So <laughs> Lovely. So kind of hearing where you've been, you've, you've gained an awful lot of experience and you've been in different practices. So when you had spoke about in the final year that students tend to panic would you offer advice to vets in their final year to kind of you know not specialize too early and get a feel for different things in veterinary or would you kind of say you know find what you want to do and then hone in on that um I think it depends on the person like I was 
like I would have been because it took me a couple of years to get into into the uni to begin with I I suppose I was slightly older in my year now not hugely but I might have been like two maybe one or two years older than some of them or three years older than some of my classmates um so for me I kind of had a fair idea at that point when you know when I was hitting what I wanted to do but I think if you're very young and you want to travel um I think maybe not pinning yourself down to one specialty straight away um like I am because of where like I'm I'm quite a young surgeon now but I am very much tied to where I am you know I can't travel around Ireland I'm very much there's only a certain amount of equine hospitals in the country now so I you know I either have to live in Dublin uh Kildare or Feather you know if I wanted to work as a surgeon anywhere in, in Ireland um for final years I think the big thing was for me I just happened to I liked surgery and I could have very easily have gone small animal surgery you know I love I just love I really enjoy surgery um so I could have easily gone but I just happened to go into a really good practice, worked with really enthusiastic and really talented surgeons. And they just, it just all clicked for me. So what I would recommend for anyone who's kind of either really on the fence or just doesn't know what they want to do is to go and see practice with someone either that they trust or they've heard, you know, from older students that they know has it like enjoys their work. Like there's no, like, you need to go and see practice with someone who enjoys what they do and who does it to a, a good level, like, you know, who who is takes pride in their work. Um, you know, if you go out and you work and someone who's just either just doesn't want to be there, doesn't enjoy it, is soured by the whole thing, it's going to rub off on you and you're like, this is not what I want to do, you know? Uh, I think that plays a huge, a huge role in what, what you want to do. And I guess, you having that experience of going to people that you know took pride in their work and inspired you that will stand to you in years to come when younger vets go to you for you know for internships or whatever it may be them to I suppose help them find out what they want to do as well yeah like I I would take I I would be really I feel really disappointed myself if students walked away and said that, you know, she doesn't want to teach or she, you know, I got a really bad vibe from her. I try my best. I, I, rem I try to remind myself of what it was like being a student or what it was like doing, especially even with the, with my interns who we obviously change interns every year or every six months here. Um, you know, we've new interns and I try and remind myself of the, the fuck ups that I had as a student or as an intern, like doing my first, you know, putting a catheter in and hitting, missing the vein, you know, like stuff like that. I try and remember, like, you know, we all have to learn. And um, if you have, like I said, the reason I loved and I wanted to come back to Feathered so much was because I had such a great training experience here. You know, they taught me really well and I loved it, you know, um, and I, I would like to think that I could do the same for students that they would enjoy to come and see practice and be like okay you know she might be a bit stern but she she likes to teach and she wants she's happy to do it um but I was really happy like we we've I had a student here a couple of weeks ago and he actually sent an email in yesterday just to say I really appreciate you guys letting me come down for two weeks and I really enjoyed working in a practice you know it was a great team and I could get and like having the crack with you guys you know, these are all having a bit of a laugh working together. And I just thought, I was like, that's such a rat, it's such a nice thing to hear because, 
it's very rare for for students to turn around and say like I really it's 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 also a bit disappointing that they have to point out that it's such a rarity to see people having the crack in in a clinic you know that atmosphere and I was like that's it should be the norm for the most part you know like you know and that's how the team works down here and I think that is so important because you know we, we're touching it life as a vet there's long hours there's obviously you know the inevitable halfway good days bad days so it is important that there is a level of crack had and I guess one quote that I really like is and I love how you described it as you remember life as a student when you were first putting in a catheter every master was once a beginner and I think it's very it's very important that you recognize that so you have patience with the interns but touching on how we got in contact with was to your Instagram we had a conversation just before we came on air about how you set your Instagram up so what was the motivation behind setting up your Instagram and I highly suggest people go and look at it because before <laughs> I properly spoke to you I was fascinated looking through it and it made me even more excited to to, to talk to you so yeah tell us about your motivation behind setting well, it up. First off thank you um I suppose being like obviously we're in an era of you know equality and promoting equality gender equality through work and that the veterinary industry is very like our vet courses like I know UCD I think they must be about 75% are women in in the in the course but what I have found for the last few years going to the CPD events and that in particular in equine and I think it's in it would be across large animal as well is that there's you get this very young group of women who would be maybe only newly graduated or, or graduated a couple of years and then you miss this group they're gone and then the rest of the the group at the CPD events are you know middle-aged older men or like maybe like but we seem to have lost a lot of the women somewhere along the way now um my and um, my thing is when I I'm a very young female surgeon like now there are thankfully there are quite a few of us in the country like Clodagh Kearney Claire Hawks myself and Shauna uh, Lawless would be the four female surgeons and I hope I'm not leaving anyone out but that's a decent number considering how many um there's not that a huge amount of surgeons in this country. Um, so they're, we're well represented, but I suppose like even I come here and I still ask, you know, am I the student or, you know, like my, I have clients who will turn around and be like, oh, so when is the surgeon coming? And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. I am the surgeon. Um, and I feel that my Instagram is more Yes, it kind of promotes me because again, I'm a young surgeon. Um, nobody really knows, no, should know, clients won't know who you are. Um, it's very, sometimes it can be a bit hard to get your name out there um, unless you go around and do an awful lot of CPD events and that. Um, and I find it's quite good for um, younger students and that to look at it and be like, okay, well, you know, this is how she went about it. She's, you know, she's young doing surgery. You know, it's possible for anyone. And as I said, I, my journey through veterinary wasn't a really direct one. I, you know, I took a bit of a scenic route getting, it took me a couple of years to get into veterinary to begin with. Um, I would say I was an average student at best throughout the college, like, especially during the preclinical years, I, I had to compensate 
couple of my lectures or modules and you know I, I borderline passed a few and like I really struggled from the from an academic point of view I struggled like I I won't say I struggled but I, I found it tough enough and then when I got to my clinical year and final year I excelled or I, I I did an awful lot better and I found it much easier to get through the clinical year but um and it's the same like I'm waiting to sit my boards for the third time like I you know I struggle to sit down like it, it, my exam technique is very poor but my Instagram then kind of highlights that you know it's possible for anyone um if you're really if you want something hard enough you know you will you can succeed and um as I said, the only the other the main reason though I'd started into the Instagram account was when I moved to England, I was working on my own up in a practice and we had they hadn't had a surgeon for a couple of years. So I started kind of promoting more so the surgeries, not necessarily myself, but I was actually doing it from the clinic's point of view and promoting the clinic and promoting the work. And then I kind of started to enjoy it, to be honest. I I liked the feedback from students who were, you know, had questions or just we're happy we're really intrigued to see the kind of the level of work that you could do without say spending thousands and thousands of euros either and also i i think there's i try to be quite practical and clinical about it like um i do have i i don't do as much cattle work anymore i used to do a lot more in the last couple of years and when i was in the university i did quite a bit of cattle work and um, and i you know sometimes there's the gold standard that you read in the surgery book and then you have to level balance that out with what is actually possible in practice or especially if you have yeah. a budget to work with so that's I think that's kind of the the main points for my Instagram account and yes whilst you're encouraging people to to look it up I would just I uh they're quite graphic images I, like I do an awful lot of wound management so you see a lot um but I would also I think the other thing I want I like to point out because if I have clients that are following me or anything like that is I like to show that these aren't quick fixes like you know there's an Instagram versus reality kind of thing that I I, I don't want to fall into that with my, my cases is that I will happily show when my cases go wrong like and I you know even with simple things like fracture repairs where the screws aren't optimally placed or where the wounds break down you know clients need to be aware that this just, you know, that's the way things go. There's so many points there that I love to touch on. And I suppose it's to appreciate your <laughs> vulnerability and saying that, you know, you had to take the scenic route and you may have found different things tough. And I really appreciate you saying that because I think, it's, you know, it's, it's important for other people to hear as well that not everyone goes through things plain sailing and I think it's a testament to how hard you've worked to get to where you are today and being a surgeon and feathered so you know thank you so much for that and from then the the Instagram you know it you're, you're being very realistic and like that there's no quick fixes and I suppose it highlights an importance of the management point of view then from the owner's side as well wouldn't it yeah absolutely um like I I, I suppose with my, my own experiences, uh, and I was taught my, my resident supervisor in UCD, John Mark O'Leary, like, was fantastic with this. He was always very mindful of, of training me to, to, to explain to the clients exactly, the, you know, what's going on. And I find that's a huge thing that maybe, it, in particular for new grads that they don't, they don't really necessarily get, is that 
Um, it's that sometimes there's a communication cutoff between or a disconnect between clients and the vets. And clients kind of think, you know, like for example, a wound, uh, a very simple um, sort of inverted V wound. And it looks great when you stitch it back together. And I'll always warn my clients that um, it looks great now, more than likely it's going to look crap in the next five, 10 days because um, because of the way the, the, the cut is, it's cut off blood circulation to that flap of tissue and the flap is likely to die off, more than likely will. But the problem is if you don't warn the clients okay. of this at the time, clients then, you know, five days later are panicking or freaking out because they see this wound falling apart and it looks like it's really nasty. And um, it's getting into the mindset of once the client, if, if you tell the client that this is likely to happen, client will be fine in five days time when it happens or if it happens, you know? Whereas if you they're not warned, then they they they're like you know, and it looks to them like it's it's the it looks like the surgery is a, is a complete disaster. They're spent money that yeah. you know they feel like they've just flushed mm -hmm. down the toilet, all of this, and it's just it's a, it's definitely a skill I think we need to teach for for new graduates, new graduate vets and vet nurses, and that to um I suppose be very I I tend to verge on the or err on the side of caution. I tend to tell my clients. I wouldn't tell them I list them the worst case scenarios, but I give them a, you know, warnings of potential problems that could arise uh, on a case by case basis because it just keeps them informed and they don't feel like I, I would always give my clients an option. Like at the end of the day, they make their decisions based on what I'm offering them. So I tend to do an option A, B and C based on either money or prognosis and let them make the decision. It's their animal at the end of the day, but I just I will only I guide them. That's all I can do, guide them on, and in mm -hmm. particular on the welfare of an animal, just to say like, this is what, if, if they ask me, I will give my, my specific personal opinion on it. Um, but, yeah, that's, um, and you're, you were on about, yeah, my, um, I suppose the way I, I go about that, I do think is really important for, again, uh, we are, our, our profession is struggling over the last few years we have a high suicide rate and it's becoming a, a real problem um, in the industry and a lot of it is down to one we are very like majority of vets like you have to be intelligent to get into veterinary you can't you know like you, you it demands high points to get in and there is a certainly a link between you know people who are very can be highly intelligent in that there definitely is more of a link towards, I suppose, depression and um, I suppose self-criticism or self-critiquing, like they are perfectionists. And I personally find it very tough and I have done for years to switch off from work. Like I am a terribly bad sleeper. I stress, I, I, I find it very hard to let go of my, my, um, my cases or I used to, I'm certainly getting better at it now. But like during my residency and my internships and that like, you know, the simple things would keep me awake at night or would stress me out during the day. And I think clients need to remember that and vets. And I think it's really important to be like, it is, it's a tough job. It's a tough, like it was a tough way to get through the, it's tough to get through the university. Um, and I think it's good to be able to have someone to know, like if you're going through university and you're saying, I don't know if I can do this, like, you know, I'm failing exams, I'm struggling, I'm compensating, you know, to get through my, some of my exams. Like, there's quite a few there's quite a few of us to do it we don't get through it's not plain sailing that course is not a plain sailing course the job is not plain sailing you get through it all and then you have long hours you know you you'll have tough days 
my God, you'll have really tough days. You can have really tough weeks. I, again, like at the moment, I, I think I'm, a lot of my posts are quite upbeat at the moment. Um, bar and most recent one, I suppose, was one that is a euthanasia. And I have a few other ones, but like I had a weekend here. I had uh, about 10 or 15 patients over the weekend. And whilst I sent 10 of them home, uh, by the end, by the Tuesday or Wednesday, I had five between a couple that arrived that I couldn't, I couldn't do anything for. They, they pretty much, I had to put them down when they arrived to one having a catastrophic fracture standing in the, in the box. You know, and I lost, I ended up of 15 horses. I had three or four that I had, I had to put down within the space of 24 hours. You know, that's a, that can be a tough day. If you really let it get to you, that, that, that is a hard day when you're ringing clients and, you know, you have clients, you know, in tears on their phone, on the phone, because, you know, unfortunately it's gone the wrong way. Yeah. So I think it's really important for, 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 for students to hear and other vets and young vets and, and older vets like I think it's important to hear that's the reality and there are other people that you know we all go through it I think the word mindset had come up earlier and we dived into an area that I'm very interested in and I suppose the work of vets is to look after the well-being of the horse however you know, how often do vets look after the well-being of themselves? And you've hit on such a good point where, you know, <clears throat> you find it hard to let go of cases and like that, you send 10 horses home and then within the space of 24 hours, your day is turned upside down. And from, I, I suppose, how do you deal with those kind of hard days where you have to deliver bad news or you even have to bring it home, you know, you, you find it hard to let go of work. How do you find ways to, I suppose, cope with it a little bit easier for those younger vets that are they're prepared going into the job or into the course? Yeah, it's like, it is very tough. And uh, what I'd say as well, um, social media is, whilst we're just talking about the Instagram account and how, how good and uplifting it is, it, it can be the worst enemy as well because it, it it allows clients to in the door and it allows not necessarily just clients but people in general these kind of trolls and that and I think this is another issue that we're finding with our industry is that vets can't get away from work anymore they go home and either you end up on Facebook or Instagram and someone has tagged you or commented about your practice or giving out about a case that you've dealt with and it's just in that respect you you can't run away from it like you know 20 years ago you go home and that was it like you know no one was posting stuff on Facebook you didn't have to worry about Jim down the road give it you know putting up some really nasty comment about you on Facebook and tag you know and or going into these vet Facebook groups and and talking about and giving out um but for me I again like I said this is something I struggle with still uh, to to kind of let go of work um you know at the moment I suppose in the last year with lockdown and that I got quite big into running now I'm not a good runner I'm I, I'm if you ask any of my friends that knew me in college if you told them I'd run 10k now they would absolutely wet themselves laughing you know <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't I wouldn't run anywhere but I started and I think the reason I enjoy it so much now is because I have such a poor technique and I am so unfit that I have to focus a hundred percent of my brain on breathing in and out and not keeling over so it's the 
it's one of the only times I switch off. Like there is nothing else going on really in my brain other than like breathing in and out. So I really enjoy for that because I switch off and I feel better than when I come back. And even if I do come back and I start thinking about a case, I've cleared my head for an hour and I'm just, you know, it, it, it helps me an awful lot. So that would mean my big thing. And to be honest, I love, I ring, I have a couple of really good friends. I have a load of like really good friends from, from college that I would ring and a couple of them would be equine vets as well. And I would ring and I would tell them about my worst day or my best day as well. And we'll, we'll laugh about it. You know, they'll have, they'll have a really bad story to tell me that they had a couple of days or weeks ago. And we'll, 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 we'll just laugh about them. That's, I think that's the best way, or you can cry about it if it, or you, sometimes you just need to, to, to rant or get it off your chest. So I would always encourage that. Like I have a really good friend, Maureen, I ring her probably every couple of weeks and she'll do the same to me. And we will talk about cases and, you know, oh, you know, this case went really bad the other day or, you know, you know, I fucked up. Like, it's just, you know, and she'll talk through it. And, and likewise, I'll talk through my case and the two of us will be like, no, actually that's fine. You know, we've all no, done yeah. something, you know, and it's more just because if you're, you're on your own and thinking about it, your brain kind of spirals and makes, it, it, a mountain out of a molehill so that would be my thing also I thoroughly enjoy coming home and having a glass of red wine as well like as well. so within within reason you know keeping it real but you, you have to and I think the having the support network around you as well is so important in that a problem shared is, is a problem halved and it's brilliant that you found, I suppose, running as your meditation, I suppose, for the want of a better word, where you can put your focus somewhere else and whatever that may be for, it's, it's not necessarily a younger vest, could be an older vest that could be finding a way to switch off of, of work and like that, having a glass of something, alcohol, of course, we've all done it, you know, you've all done it at the end of the day. Christ, you know, that looks yeah, nice. I, now I'm going to dive into that. <laughs> but I think it's very good that you have, it's very good that you have that, you know, the, the three different things that you can take your mind off it and then have that support network, both, I suppose, around you and Feather, but also from the other equine vest as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, and I think that's another thing when you're going into this kind of work and that you have to remember it can be really isolating. Um, like, especially if you're going into likes of large animal or mixed practice work um out in your in particular if you're out in the west of ireland or you know in quite rural areas um and even when i was an intern in feathered where we only had there was only myself and two other interns at the time so there was only three of us down here um and i had gone from being in a group of about eight friends really close friends in college and then my internship in kentucky where there were 10 or 12 of us that were all very close when I came down here and I was doing like a two and three rota and I only had two other people here, I found it very isolating, you know, it was very tough. Um, and when you had long days, you know, you didn't really have that support network. Um, you didn't have like, it was, I found it very tough that year. Um, and I find, and I think again, that's something that, you know, you need to be aware of and we need to address as well that um, you can't expect people coming out of college who are, like 24, 25, 26, and, you know, sending them off, like they go off to work, possibly in a very rural area, 
and they have no friends around you know there's no social activities going on especially now with covid and you know it just ends up if you're going home and you're having especially in your first couple of years out where you're making mistakes or you know you're ha you know you're you're, it's not plain sailing because you're not you know everything is a new is a new thing you're finding you. your feet you, yeah exactly you're finding your feet and you pile that all on with social isolation and that and not having a network you're it's just going to just keep weighing you down more and more and more and you'll just get into this horrible vicious circle of you know really negativity and kind of verging on depression it's just um so finding definitely as you said um like a good support network and like, thankfully now, again, the, I suppose the upside to social media and the internet and everything is that your friends are never too far away anymore. Even if it's just a Snapchat yeah. or a WhatsApp message or a little voice message on from your WhatsApp, you know, or Instagram or whatever, you can connect very easily. And it's very easy to sort of, you know, get in touch with a friend and saying, I'm having a really bad day. Like even just for someone just to send you a funny message or something just to like lighten it a bit it's finding the balance within life as a vet you know with like your, your the meditation the sleep and work and then it's finding the balance within social media as well we've touched on how it can be so negative it's so instant for clients if one little thing goes wrong it spreads like wildfire on social but then it has the upside so I suppose it's the balance and it, it's knowing the balance and what's enough, what's enough of it and what, what's too much of it. And again, I want to thank you so much for giving us an insight to the realities of a vet. You know what I mean? And of course, you, you know, it, it, there are good days you enjoy what you do. And are there any kind of cases that have warmed your heart or that you think of that you're so proud of? Um, yeah, they're actually, they're, quite a few and I think that's the way like I mo like most of my my certain like jobs and that I I get real enjoyment out of it in particular I love the ones that come in either that are very very lame from like a wound a septic joint or a fracture and I love I really do get that that absolute enjoyment every time you they come in maybe on three legs and they come out you know they walk out after surgery and they're nearly fully sound like I just that just I love seeing that that improvement or actually a big thing like I, I I learned to do a lot of dental work with again with my supervisor John Mark because he's the only dental specialist in the country uh, equine dental specialist is also a, an equine surgical specialist as well but um I we did an awful lot of dental work referral dental work in UCD and I loved watching you, you have these horses who have gone through chronic dental pain who are really sour in the box, won't eat, you know, really struggle to put on weight and that. And it could be something like diastema or whatever, or pulling a tooth. And to see the change in them afterwards, that, you know, back eating and that, like, you know, client, their owners will tell you that they're a whole different horse. Like, I love hearing that. I think that's great. Um, a couple of my really good ones. Um, I think there was a horse that I remember taking, myself and John Mark took, 13 teeth out of his out we'd take all of his incisors out and a couple of his cheek teeth and that horse was horrible to deal with prior prior to the surgery because he was in so much pain he had infection all along his his, his incisors um and he was an entirely different horse the next day the happiest horse i'd you know he was just 
that was a big I loved that case that was a brilliant case oh my god um, that's so cool so you took out all his incisors yeah yeah um he had like there the it's equino uh, odontoclastic tooth resorption hypersemantosis so it's this reactive tissue that they get around their teeth and they get really sensitive and and so we removed all the teeth his incisors and the horse was just an entirely different horse the next day like he was phenomenal um so that was I think that was one of my best ones and I've had a couple of really good ones here because um since coming here I'm I suppose because I am now as I suppose one of their surgeons here I've had quite a few of my sort of first true solo surgery fracture repairs where I'm like I am the only surgeon in the room um and I've had some great ones coming out off you know fractures that are coming in again they're three-legged lame go out with you know and they're weight bearing and and hopefully they go back racing and that and that's a huge buzz to be able to do that um I I just to be honest I could talk to you all day like I I had a really cool <laughs> poll and there's one there's one on my Instagram that I had up but there's another one that I'll post later in the year um it was a fold that fell down a manhole um in May yeah she reversed she was out with her her mare and the I don't know what had been out in the field, some sort of machinery had been out the day before, but they must have pulled the cover off the manhole um, without the owners realizing. And anyway, the filly fell down into the manhole. And when she arrived to me, she'd, she'd been in the, the manhole for an hour or two and had cut up, she cut up four of her legs, like really nastily cut them. Um, and now the client, obviously we had a couple of septic joints and we had multiple really big lacerations on, on all four legs. And she, we, we were able to do, I, the client couldn't afford to do arthroscopy, which would be the gold standard for the septic joints. So I tried to manage them with needle lavage and we were successful. Um, like the, you know, the client still had to, you know, ended up spending a good bit of money still on the fold, but that case was fantastic because she went from a fall where I didn't think after the first two days, I wasn't sure if she'd live because she was just, she had so many wounds, so many infected, you know, two infected joints is not good. Um, and she did it. She trotted, bounced out of the place a couple of weeks later. And I, again, just got such a kick out of that. I just and the fall was a real pleasure to deal with as well for the two weeks. So um, that was a, I, I like those kind of cases. Oh, my God, that's amazing. You know, the the like the, the good side of what you do and you can see the before and then you can see the after and you can take that pride and say, you know, that you did that well within reason you can't unfortunately because of confidentiality you can't turn around and be like you know that racehorse that was mine you know <laughs> yeah yeah I know <laughs> it has to be unfortunately you can't boast about it but <laughs> <laughs> and kind of touching then a little bit more I had mentioned we were going to kind of touch on a few topics and I think from my game I mainly events but even this can be applicable to any horse owner. Um, the one I'm most interested in is keeping the event horse sound. Um, I've been in a few event yards and in my point of view, it seems to be the biggest problem. Um, <clears throat> so from a veterinary perspective in terms of, you know, injury prevention, then the most common injuries that you would see and then the various treatments I suppose with technology and science there's so many new kind of treatments coming out all the time 
but from a veterinary perspective and keeping any horse down but particularly the event horse or the show jumping horse what would be your top tips for injury prevention and what would you see the most that you that you think this is preventable um yeah I think that's a really it's a really good point and and question because I suppose that's what everyone is striving for is how to keep their horse sound um the big thing I suppose is getting looking at your horse and seeing you know confirmationally how correct is your animal because at the end of the day confirmation is is you know key and I would in I'll, I'll go specifically into feet in in a, in a moment but confirmation you want to be looking at their knees how you know are they offset in any way are they towed in towed out anything like that are they very upright through their um hocks you know stuff like that was you know a lot obviously for buying and selling and that you know people like buyers and sellers kind of pick up on that stuff but for most people who have their horses either breed them or have them at home and they're working them they kind of forget about looking at their horse and seeing where being really critical of them I mean like where is the problem here in this horse because horses aren't meant to be towed in or towed out you know the reason why they've they're called poor confirmation is because that'll put excessive loading and strain on areas that shouldn't necessarily be taking all that loading and strain and whilst it's not a big issue say when they're three or four or five but when you get into a horse that's either doing grand prix work or high level eventing you know and they're they're hitting they've done it for a few years and they're hitting eight or nine or ten plus that's when the wear and tear starts to creep in and then because you've been getting this excessive wear and tear on areas that shouldn't necessarily be getting it so i think if you can at least highlight where potentially you have an issue confirmationally you can tweak and manage them a little bit better to to correct that or prevent it i suppose which might be something simple as changing angles of shoes or you know um trying like at an early age we obviously do a lot of work when in in particular with the thoroughbreds and for sport horses, for the foals, we obviously watch them for angular limb deformities where are they towing in or, or towing out? You know, do they have basically, are, have they got um, a deviation through their fetlocks or their, their carpi? Um, and we try and obviously, we try and help correct them with screws and stuff like that when they're early on, when they're still growing. Um, but obviously when you get to the later stage when they're adults and you can't do that, then you have to look at, my big thing would be farrier work. I find... I have a huge interest in, in feet. I love I love farrier work and I love being involved with the farriers when we have a remedial farrier to do. Um, but I do find it's an area that is can be very um, overlooked by clients. Um, sometimes I, I find it really bizarre horses that will come in for lameness and they'll tell you that they're, you know, God, he's really lame in front or really lame behind. And you look at the feet and you're like, I, you know, this horse has no heels. He's got really long toes, and you're like, you know, he's it. It it shifts their whole, yeah, and it shifts their whole. The axis through their hoof pastern axis is all shifted, and all that like, whilst it seems really, uh, really minimal, that's like you have to remember that the feet are taking in. They're they're managing. They're taking the load from all 500 kilos worth. They're that's landing on those feet, and the feet are designed in such a way that you know that axis is there to prevent damage. So when it when they get bad foot confirmation, it really will do damage if you if you aren't keeping on top of it. So for me, the big, big thing would be again talking with your farrier and making sure that you know everyone's on the same wavelength with what you want. Um, you know, sport horses are typical, 
um, more prone to the likes of navicular syndrome or what you kind of term palmar foot pain, which kind of covers a multitude of soft tissue injuries in the back of the feet, in at the heel region. Um, and I do find a lot of them will correct once, um, you know, you bring the toes back, you try and put, you, you put cushioning under their heels and under their sole. And I find a lot of that will work from, again, more before you even jump into starting medicating joints, I think going back and addressing the feet and correcting the biomechanics there tends to actually will do an awful lot and it'll go a lot, lot, lot longer for you for, for managing that animal. Um, yeah. In terms of other stuff, then I think exercise being clever and responsible about your exercise or how you're getting your horse up to fitness, like horses need to be, um, uh, I suppose, conditioned. You can't just expect a racehorse to go out and race, you know, um, two miles at a really fast, you know, or go out and gallop them four or five days a week. Like the same with sport horses, you don't just go out and, and jump around an event course, you know, having not done anything for the winter. Um, getting them used to the to you know building their workload up gradually because it's going to strengthen them and again a big thing I would find is back pain um, that's become a huge thing you know across the world kissing spines back pain a lot of that is because they're they haven't developed their muscles I find that it's a muscular issue more so than bone issue but the muscles are not being developed enough you know people forget maybe to do the like the, the likes of the what we call long and low, like get, getting your horse down on a shambone and getting them to work up behind on their hindquarters, getting them to really actually engage their hindquarters when they're working. That strengthens the core muscle along their back. And in, for me, then that you are less likely to have issues with the likes of kissing spines and that because that core stabilizing muscle, which is the multifidus, um, runs down along the back. It is, it's like in humans, if that muscle gets damaged, that's when you get lower back pain in, in humans and horses are pretty similar. So if they go lame or they just don't get that muscle work, that they're more likely to have problems down the line. Um, and then ground, we, you know, like we, I suppose that's another thing that can be easily overlooked is the type of ground you're working on. You know, don't go out and, you know, necessarily be jumping your horse every day of the week on ground, especially during the summer when it goes rock hard. You know, we haven't had rain yeah. for weeks and then suddenly, you know, the, the ground's like concrete. Similarly enough, going into sand arenas that are, that are too deep, really deep, deep sand, that's really, that can be really bad for tendons and ligaments. And, you know, so again, it's just, obviously you can only work with what you have. So you have to be, but be mindful that you have to tailor your animal to that, that condition. The point that I really like that you touched on is, <coughs> you know, working, working with the, the, the failure and it highlights the importance of the vet, the failure, physio, you know, whatever else you have, working together as a team. So you do your bit, the failure do, does his bit, you know, the physio does their bit. And it's important, again, like a support network that you have in Feather, but it's also important for the owner of the horse to have their support network. So you're getting the best out of every you know, you're getting the best out of the vet and the failure that you're kind of catching a problem nice and early. And in terms of, you know, catching pigeon-toed cowhawk, any of those, it's it's early, it's catching it early so it doesn't become such a big problem then when it does reach Grand Prix or five-star five star level. And 
it goes back to that old saying that had been drilled into us from an early age, like no hoof, no horse. And <laughs> earlier, you know, and it's simple little things, like you say, is often overlooked. And it, that's why I wanted your opinion, because you're highlighting the importance of just the plain basics and how it can prevent so many other things later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another one, I suppose, for I find with clients that they overlook is this head shaking. You know, they get that um, a lot of clients get work, you know, obviously get very upset that their horses start suddenly start either napping or throwing their head around. I find that a lot of the time it can be really simple. It can be just as simple as those horses just haven't had their teeth uh, done. They're not getting seen once a year by their, their, their vet to get them um, floated down. And it's actually a lot of the time it's because those sharp points are digging into their, their cheeks. And when you, if you think about it, when you tighten the noseband then to put on the bridle, um, once that goes on, that puts pressure on the cheeks, cheeks, and then they're digging in on their teeth. And again, something very, very, very simple. They're not all head shakers are like, you'd be delighted if that was the reason for your horse head shaking, <laughs> it's an easy fix. But um, it's just one of those things that I think, again, gets overlooked dental. like. A lot of the time I would find that clients don't, you know, feel at, they'll come to you when the horse is giving a really serious dental problem, like they're dropping food or they're losing weight. Yeah. And um, we're still kind of, and in fairness, vets are to blame a lot for this because vets, you know, didn't like, don't like doing dentistry. And we didn't, like I was, we didn't really get taught much about it when we were in college. That's all changed. Again, I'm going back about John Mark because he is really, he being the only equine dental specialist in the country, He's promoted it and he trains, I would say the final years over the last few years are much better equipped or much more knowledgeable about dental pathology mm -hmm. and routine dental work than we ever were. So I think we lost a lot of it and we didn't push it when we, so in the last 20 years, I think we lost like vet equine dentistry kind of went by the wayside. But I think uh, now trying to promote it more that it should, you know, for the routine stuff, because again, if you do the routine stuff early, you prevent huge, huge dental issues down the line with them. Um, but that's an entirely different topic that I could talk all day about. So. But it's a very, it's a very valid point, you know, because like that, it, it, it again, like the folds and stuff, it, it's early, catching it early that makes that you're not making a mountain out of a molehill then and you're not having to go down these so many different avenues but in terms of like you know if we kind of haven't mastered the prevention stage to kind of common injuries that you would see I know it's quite hard I'm aware of um confident uh client confidentiality and stuff but as a broad kind of overview of the most common injuries that would come in and event or show jumping horses and then the different um, treatments that in your eyes would have the most success? Yeah, I suppose, um, like I said, this this sort of, I, I use term like Palmer foot pain where, you know, you've got soft tissue injury somewhere in the foot. And now we're very lucky here. We have our, an MRI machine and that's excellent, but MRI is very, very expensive. So a lot of the time, certainly for a lot of my clients, it wouldn't be economic. We, we don't have the, you know, the money to work with an MRI for that. So a lot of the time is I will, like I said, if it's palmar foot pain, I will I will talk to the farrier and we'll, we'll discuss remedial farrier with them and see if we get an improvement. 
that could be linked in with putting a corticosteroid in the joint, in the coffin joint, to try and get this local diffusion in around um, and try and settle a couple of things down in, in the palmar structures as well. That would kind of be the more like the baseline for me and in for that kind of stuff. Um, other issues are you're looking at like arthritis, osteoarthritis in, you know, the hocks in the in the small joints in the hocks, so the, the DITs and TMTs. So they're the two small, small joints um, in at the hock region prone to osteoarthritis. So again, probably looking at managing them with more than likely corticosteroids. Um, corticosteroids are so are cheap, you know, and you get a high, you get quite a, a, a big response to them. Certainly initially anyway, now those it, it tends to wane the 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 effectiveness that you get every every time you medicate them. But that'll be they kind of be the basics, corticosteroids into a joint for the likes of treating um an arthritis um or Sort of a synovitis. Um, I suppose we also get the likes of suspensory desmitis, so inflammation in the ligament, um, which tends to sort of put more pressure on the nerve, so in around that region. Um, for us, we can medicate in around there and try and dampen down the inflammation. You can look at the likes of, I know, shockwave. Shockwave's kind of, for me, I don't necessarily promote it or not promote it. It's just that we don't have enough, for me, we don't have enough clinical research there to say this definitely works. I've certainly heard even from people um, getting shockwave that they, they do feel um, an improvement after, but again, not necessarily very objective. You know, there could be a placebo effect, but um, so shockwave yeah. medicating. Um, and then look, for, for a lot of this stuff, you, can, you, you might have to consider surgery at some point down the line, depending on what's going on or how severe um, or... And again, it depends on what you want from, from your animal. You know, like it, and, and a few of us have discussed this with our lamenesses. Um, you know, I, if I had a horse that comes in and he's uh, four out of five lame, so very, very lame, and I get him and I block him and he's not 100%, but maybe a one out of five, still a little bit of not right, maybe on a circle. If that pony is just going to do, you know, some little cradle stakes or, you know, is just a hack around, that's great. Like, you know, I don't need to really go doing much more than that. But if you've got a Grand Prix or a five-star eventer, you know, a one out of five is not good enough for them. They need to be, you know, you need, you know, you need to try and get as much them as sound as possible. So again, then more than like you're getting into different types of treatments then with them. Um, like we have, but I suppose going back to the like to the main things, corticosteroids are the routine for most stuff. You know, for back pain or anything, we do intramuscular injections and that as well. Um, and then uh, what else? I suppose we can look at nutraceuticals and that. We do recommend certain um, additives into their feed and that's try and help with joints, especially in younger animals. So ASU, <laughs> which is um, uh, unsapified, uh, Soya unsaponifiable, I can never pronounce that, but ASU is uh, one of the products that we would look at trying to get into the joints. Um, and then Biota Orientalis, which is the Foresight. I, that's a new product with, that came out sort of last year, the year before, and I would find the research on that quite good. They're kind of- I've heard of that products. one. Yeah. So ASU doesn't come, I don't think you can get it specifically in, in it used to be like ASU, a thousand I think was the product years ago and I think it's yeah. gone now 
but I think it comes in Bosmerics was one of the products that had come out recently with ASU and it, but you have to be kind of conscious of, and clients I you know I don't want like clients go around and they'll see a product with ASU in it but it might necessarily be to the level that they need and they're you know it we need they need to kind of go back to and again this is what you're saying about having a network you go back to your vet and say okay is this stuff actually going to do the job that it's meant to like is this actually mm -hmm. beneficial to the animal because a lot of this stuff is very expensive those nutraceuticals are not yeah. cheap yeah. you know and um, it's a lot of supplements say... on the market as well I think it's easy <coughs> to get kind of overwhelmed by the amount of supplements that are on the market and then you know you kind yeah. of have to find out what is the actual dosage is it actually going to do any good and it again if you were to get medic or uh, take a supplement for yourself you would consult your doctor very same if you wanted to give a supplement to your horse you consult your vet exactly and the likes of um and i try i like i sometimes forget that i my face will give exact my eyes in particular give away exactly what i'm thinking a lot of the time even so i'm even with my mask on i kind of forget that like i i'll give it away uh, my I find that the big ones I get asked about are turmeric and vitamin C. They're the two big things I get asked about by clients, you know, about giving, you know, they'll, they'll be on about they're giving tablespoons of turmeric in their food. Now, I'm nearly certain the dosage for a horse for turmeric, I think you'd nearly need a wheelbarrow a day to shovel it into, you know, like I, for it to have in theory, the effect that it should, now, that's why we're going back to the likes of, I think, like Bosmerics, I think does have concentrated turmeric in it. Now, again, I'm not, I, I haven't actually sat down and looked at the, the, what the recommended dose for a horse would be, but I'm pretty sure a tablespoon. Now, it makes, if it makes the client feel better, it's not doing any harm. So I don't mind, but, um, you know, it, it, it's certainly, I, I think the horse would live without it. Um, and the same with vitamin C. Vitamin C to get it in needs quite a high dose. Now we do have vitamin C available. I think that we can give orally. But the problem I've seen with that, because it's such a high concentrated dose of vitamin C, if you're dosing your horse with that, it actually it'll give them mouth ulcers. It can do if you're doing it very for prolonged periods of time. So again, talking to your vet, and I, and I do feel that sometimes clients think that vets want to push their pro you know push the medical products and i think clients feel I, from my own experience i feel that some clients would rather you know they they feel that they want to go a more natural route or use not na more natural remedies and i completely agree like i completely get where they're coming from but i again think that if you like most of your vets are very very reasonable you can talk to and ask them about like what would the dose be like this is this actually working or you know not yeah or could you recommend or could you recommend the product that has this sort of concentrated stuff to the dose it needs to be i think that um you know the natural supplements and stuff like that is a rabbit hole in itself and i know many people that you know do be cracking the, the black pepper and stuff in on top of the turmeric and I mean, like you say, if it keeps the client happy, absolutely. However, <clears throat> you know, science doesn't lie. And I think uh, along with social media, there's often, I find, these trends that come up of this new supplement that's going to cure it all. And I think it's to be, I suppose, 
buyer beware as well and for people to do a their research but just highlight the importance you know best and scary they're there to, you're there to help <laughs> and you're there to advise and i suppose in in other ways save your money as well instead of spending it on this new trendy supplements that like you say you might have to give wheelbarrows of it to actually have an effect you know and that's yeah. not um that's not uh, dodging anybody that does give too much to the horses that we're just using that as an example oh no However, yeah exactly sorry that's from... that's my yeah that's my example yeah. it's like um I had a client once tell me about using tuning forks for a horse's back um <clears throat> you know it's like the horse has a really bad back I really didn't think tuning forks were going to fix it but it made them feel better, you know, but I do feel sorry for some clients. I think they go yeah. down the rabbit hole and I do think there are people there that are ha more than happy to exploit that and, you know, to charge money for it. Um, but again, mm. as if it's not causing the animal any harm, you know, and they're not hindering, say, healing or anything like that. If, it, if the client feels happier doing it, then I'm happy for them to do it. But, uh, you know, as I said, as long as it's not causing the animal any issues work away back on <laughs> yeah <laughs> moving kind of to, towards finishing up as i'm very aware of your time i'm very grateful that you've given me so oh, much don't worry. don't worry what are some of your goals as a vest i've spoken to a lot of riders and stuff that would have goals but you know, I'd love to know at the vet, do you have any goals for the future? Is there any area you'd like to work in? Or would you like to further specialize? Or would you even like to, you know, open your own practice or anything? <laughs> um, goals currently, my goal has been the same goal for the last three years now is to pass my specialization boards. Um, so I can actually call myself a specialist. Um, it's a work in progress. So um, that'd be goal number one, and it has been for a while. Um, for me, no, I think like I my goal, to be honest, is just to I would like to still be working in you know a 10, 15 years. I'd like to be able to you know work until I retire, basically. I and that's my like my goal is kind of to I I like I would like to be able to walk into work and still enjoy it as much as I do now like that to me is one of my goals is to remember it like to enjoy it you know I worked yeah. very hard to get where I am and I like I, I want to be able to enjoy it for as long as I can um and I suppose uh, we kind of touched on earlier on as well but you know I would like one of my goals I would like to be one of those surgeons where you know students coming up and me like you know wow she she did it I I can do it you know um and I'd like it to be not such a big deal for you know female surgeons to be um sort of on an equal par with 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 the men um or you know for it not to seem so strange to see like we're uh feathered's probably one of the few like we've we've 50 50 with our surgeons so there's two women and two men and you know we've got a few women in our ambulatory practice as well which is it's can't like the 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 gender equality is kind of constantly changing like we we're progressively getting more and more women into our into our mm -hmm. hospital you know and then our interns are it, it's majority are women you know so that is changing so I would like to be honest that would be a goal of mine is just that I I hopefully inspire other people at some point to follow a similar path and I hope they aren't too put off like 
equine veterinary is hard. Um, the clients, especially when you work in a practice like this, you know, we have high performance animals, both racing and sport horse. We have clients, even if they're not that, like, you know, we have pleasure horses, you know, our clients, all clients can be demanding and expect a, a high standard and the hours can be long and tough and, you know, good days, bad days. But I would hope that, you know, some, at least some uh, vets would be like, you know what, it'll be easier now, like this time, you know, we've, we're working to try and make it better. Like we're trying to get our work-life balances better. Like the roads yeah. are slowly, very slowly improving now. Like my rota is the best I've had for years, but it's still a shockingly bad one compared to the likes of small animals. Or, you know, I do a one in three rota and I think I'm having, I think I've the best life ever. Whereas friends <laughs> of mine, friends of mine are doing a one in six rota and they're like, that is disgraceful, you know? Yeah. But my, like my goal would be in another, hopefully couple of years, it could become more normal we'll have you know people will accept that we need more people on the rotas so that we can make everyone's life better and i i think yeah. that'd be and same with our days like we you know instead of having why have three people trying to do the work of five whereas you could have five and everyone would actually be a lot happier so yeah. that'd be another one of my goals and then i have no interest in owning a practice none um i i have no aspirations to own my own I if I had like I'd happily buy into a practice with friends of mine like a smaller mixed practice I I if I was doing mixed practice that I'd ha I'd love to have my own practice but from an equine point of view no I I'm hopefully never going like my my I want to stay here for as long as possible and yeah. I'm more than happy for someone else to take the responsibility of running a clinic like this <laughs> <laughs> I love those I, I love those goals and I love that there's so many like interlinked goals and you mentioned that you hope you've inspired people. You absolutely have. You've been, you've inspired me and I can't wait for <laughs> to hear to hear this conversation. And yeah, I think they're they're such you know, they're amazing goals and the absolute best of luck in your in your board exams. And to finish off with a couple of quick fire questions that I haven't oh, yeah. given you, so you, I guess <laughs> the answer, answer. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh wow! Um, not to take life too seriously. Mm. I've always, um, if you, I suppose, going back to students in practice with me or anyone who's worked with me. I tend to have quite a dark sense of humor. I, I need to, like, because I find it's it's one of my coping mechanisms. Like, I, I would have quite a dark sense of humor. Yeah, and I definitely, I like, I'm more than happy to take the mick out of myself during the day if I mess up, like, you know, like, otherwise I just, I, I think if I didn't laugh, I'd cry, so. <laughs> <laughs> what does success mean to you? um oh these are very uh these are very uh, yeah yeah really putting me on the spot and um, success to me is you know what having clients that are happy at the end of the day um i like being able to send like i said sending horses home would be is a success to me as the clients are happy i'm happy um and being able like to be honest being able to do what i want to do this is just 
you know, as big as the success and being able to come back to Feather to do it. Like it's, it is a real honor to be able to come back here. And I, it sounds really, it probably sounds really, um, you know, put on, but it's always been where I wanted to work. Like when I came here as an intern, I just loved the place and I loved the team and yeah, just getting to work here. Like you work with such fantastic clients, like you've such, like, it's just an amazing, it's amazing to see the horses coming through. Um, so yeah. And the last one is your most embarrassing moment as a vet. Oh God. Oh, there's quite a few. There's a lot <laughs> actually now. It'll take me more time to think of which. Um, most embarrassing. I remember as an intern in Kentucky clipping the wrong horse, not alone the wrong leg, but clipped, knocked down the wrong horse. Um, now it was going for surgery as well. And it was from the same yard. Um, but myself and my teammates may have, we were, it was a long breeding season. We had like, I think this was like probably horse number 10 or 12 or 17 of the day, like in Haggard's, Haggard's breeding season is insane. Now it was at the end of the day, I can't, I can't blame anyone else. It was myself and my teammate. We knocked the wrong horse, had it in on like we had it in surgery. We had it clipped up its leg. We prepped it and someone came in and was like, is this such and such? We're like, yeah. We're like, no, it's not. It's like, no, it is. And they're like, no, that's up in the other, that's in the other knockdown box. Oh, yeah. So we had to go and tell the surgeon that we um, had clipped, we had knocked one of his horses for arthroscopy, but it was the wrong, wrong horse, wrong leg. So that was fairly embarrassing. Now it was grand, the client. It happens. It, it, yeah, and it, you know, look, and again, that's why I would say I, I always remember what it was like to be a student or an intern. I remember that. Um, the other embarrassing one was, I think my first catheter to put in ever uh, in the same internship, I hit an artery. I hit the carotid artery and gave the horse a massive hematoma. Now he was completely fine. But it like, I didn't live that down for several weeks from the yard staff and that were like, do you actually know what you're doing? I was like, yeah, I do. I'm pretty sure I do anyway. Um, oh. they're, they're two of my embarrassing ones. I do know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a horse. I remember a horse kicked me or stood on the back of my heel one day when I was jogging it up and I nearly like fell flat on my face in front of my bosses. That was another pretty spectacular one. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just put us to shame, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they really will. Like if they, if they can find a way, they will. So. <laughs> And I am absolutely buzzing from this conversation <laughs> and I know that the listeners will be too. And thank you so much for giving us the biggest insight into life as a vest and touching on the realities of a vest as well. I really appreciate your vulnerability and I know that people will take such value from this conversation and I wish you nothing but the best of luck um, in your board exams and in the future. And thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no problem. Oh, Siobhan, I had a great time. Like, I actually, it's probably been the easiest sort of interview nearly I've ever had. Like, it's been such a good evening. Um, and it's actually been really nice just to think back over a lot of stuff that I'd never, I haven't really thought about. Like, even just 
kind of people that you know you rely on or you know have helped you through the through the years and like I said I hope I hope people enjoy the the chat tonight and like uh, yeah I suppose it is it's quite I, I try to be as brutally honest because I think lying about it is just doesn't help anyone or pretending like everything is rosy just is no help to anyone especially for those that are are finding it hard um, and everyone finds it hard um, and yeah sure I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoy the Instagram stuff and hopefully look I'll see hopefully I can pass these exams this time around but sure if I don't they like it, they're only letters at the end of the day and that's the other thing I would say to anyone like these are only letters like it doesn't change anything it just means I can't call myself a specialist but it doesn't mean that they're going to take the the surgical gowns off me and kick me out like I I am yeah. still doing all these surgeries so Thank you.